You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. It's the Opperman Report. Join digital forensic investigator and PI Ed Opperman for an in-depth discussion of conspiracy theories. Strategy of New World Order Resistance, high-profile court cases in the news, and interviews with expert guests and authors on these topics and more. It's the Opperman Report. And now, here is investigator Ed Opperman. Okay, welcome to the Opperman Report. I'm your host, Private Investigator Ed Opperman. Uh, you can find me at Opperman Investigations and Digital Forensic Consulting, uh, either through my website, emailrevealer.com, or you can just email me directly at oppermaninvestigations at gmail.com. If you like our show today, be sure and check out our Patreon. I put up eight hours of new content every month on our Patreon at the Opperman Report Patreon. And our archives you can always find for free. Sign up for free at Spreaker.com. And if you go to Spreaker.com, you'll find two previous shows I've done with our guest today, Grant Stern. Uh, you can find Grant Stern at his website, GrantStern.com. Uh, he tweets prolifically throughout the day. I follow his Twitter all day long, uh, either at uh, Occupy Democrats or Grant Stern on Twitter. Uh, Grant, are you there? Hey, how's it going, Ed? It's going good, man. It's going good. So I, you immediately well, tell, remind me what it is. Who is Grant Stern? Well, I am a radio broadcaster and getting ready to launch an internet radio station pretty soon. I'm an investigative journalist, executive editor at Occupy Democrats, the news websites, and I'm the producer of The Dworkin Report, which is a wonderful podcast. I highly suggest everybody check out Dworkin, D-W-O-R-K-I-N, report.com. And, uh, yeah, I just uh, keep busy. I've got a few people following me on Twitter now, and, hey, uh, there's a lot of political news, even though certain people just left the White House. So I'll be writing that uh, going forward and going backwards as well. That's kind of why we're all here to chat, huh? Okay, wait. Now, that's Scott Dworkin. That's right. Scott Dworkin. That's how I probably stumbled. That's probably how I found Scott Dworkin because I follow him too as well. I probably found him uh, following you. Okay, excellent, excellent to hear. Uh, now, by the way, we've had you on twice before. One time was talk about Rosneft and all that kind of stuff, uh, and the Steele oh, dossier, yeah. and, and the other time was to talk about that incident down there with the Proud Boys, and uh, I can't seem to find that anywhere on my website now anymore. It seems to be taken down. Uh, you remember that incident, right? Oh, I, I remember it quite well because uh, I'll tell you, it was uh, that was the, the foreshadowing of what we saw on January 6th in the Capitol. Um, there was a political assault led by Republicans with the Proud Boys organization. And even Florida's Republican Senator Marco Rubio calls it a repudiation mob. And it was the same kind of thing, them banging on the doors trying to get in. And when Nancy Pelosi was inside that time, too, as well. That is correct. Nancy Pelosi was there. She was the target. They were screaming comunista, which is Spanish for communist. And uh, I'll tell you, people all wanted to downplay the major importance of the chairman of a, a 
very large, like the largest Republican Party in Florida, which is a key swing state, uh, being involved with the Proud Boys rally. And even he tried to pretend like it wasn't him. He lied to me and he said, well, Trump supporters planned that. I'm scared of them. <laughs> Fascinating. Just like they, they try to claim that the Antifa and uh, Black Lives Matter were really staging the uh, storm of the Capitol this week. Entirely predictable. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, Adolf Hitler wrote a playbook, and these guys have read it. How do you feel? You feel uh, safer? Uh, a little bit. Um, certainly a lot more safe today than, than say, January 6th, but I'm definitely concerned. I mean... Yeah. Amazon shut down the, the parlor app, uh, which I wrote a pretty viral tweet about uh, a couple weeks ago. And I just said, at this point, parlor should just rename their app evidence. Hmm. Um, but they, they shut them down and some of the posts that they were allowing up there that were unmod uh, unmoderated uh, were, you know, calling to murder journalists, calling us soft targets. So. Uh, I would definitely be a fool to say that I feel uh, completely safe. However, uh, since everything got de uh, defused, all of the uh, you know planned marches and I call them protests, liberally speaking here, uh, potential protests uh, of people with guns who might use them, uh, <laughs> maybe perhaps uh, acts of terror, we don't know, but uh, all of that kind of activity seems to have fizzled um, because of the public warnings of the FBI, but that doesn't mean that there's not crazy people out there uh, looking to hurt people uh, for exposing the truth. And uh, I think it's safe to say the reason you gave me a call is because you saw my recent story exposing the truth about what's happening with former Trump campaign chairman Steve Bannon, and that's certainly a truth that a lot of people would rather not see exposed. Exactly. That's exactly why I gave you a call, because we saw that uh, Trump uh, uh, pardoned Steve Bannon the other night, and basically, he pardoned him for the, the crime that you exposed. That is correct. <laughs> okay, well, uh, just take us from the start. <laughs> hey, by the way, you should pay yourself on the back for that. You should be proud of that, man. Uh, how oh, hey. <laughs> well, you know, um, I, I'll tell you a funny story. I was reading a columnist, like an opinion columnist uh, in the Washington Post, on say, oh, a few, few weeks ago, a couple months ago. And uh, he's an older guy. He's been there for, gosh, ever since I've read the Washington Post. And I think he was there for 30, 40 years, probably 40 years. And, and he wrote, the one thing I can say about my journalism is that no matter what I've written, nothing has changed because of that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that stuck with me because I was like, man, I'm glad I can not say that. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, I mean, I got a tip from somebody conservative uh, that the We Build the Wall organization was not operating above board. And I followed up on that tip, and I wrote a story about it. Um, that story went viral. It got a, a little over 300,000 reads, and the head of the We Build the Wall, uh, Inc. Uh, group, his name is Brian Colfage, uh, reached out to me because of that story, and we started communicating by email. And... Uh, Let's just say, like, skipping to the end of the story here, yeah. that chain of email communications uh, ultimately led to Steve Bannon's arrest as his co-conspirator in financial crimes, 
to divert funds from the, the wall operation and to raise those funds under false pretenses and uh, use the money for, for personal gain. Um, in between all of that, uh, you know, Mr. Colfage reached out to Snopes to try and debunk <laughs> me. Um, that didn't work. <laughs> you know, I may be the only uh, a journalist in America who has uh, multiple uh, corrections issued from Snopes, <laughs> not to mention it's covered in Snopes and never has a bad cover, you know? I mean, sometimes I've had some bad cover and then they always revise it later, like the Russia investigation, for example. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so Snopes reached out to the state authorities, and the state authorities reached out to other state authorities, and that sparked the investigation. And we know that because I reported that. I got copies of the emails showing all the communications, and sure enough, it was my story that caused the investigation, and it's all right there in public records and sitting on a raw story where I wrote the second story about the We Build the Wall Scam. Okay, now that's fascinating. So you're saying that Colfage, when he reached out to Snopes uh, to get them to back him up, they wound up going to investigators, and that's what led to the investigation. Right. Uh, Snopes called the Florida Attorney General's office. The AG in Florida doesn't regulate charities. Hmm. Not many people know that. Uh, they, they know it now. And uh, the AG reached out to the charity regulator. And that agency is the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services, FDAX. Um, and FDAX is, is a civil a civil agency with a law enforcement division. They call it the Ag Law Division, actually. Um, so they oversee charities. Uh, every charity that raises funds from the general public has to file a registration statement, uh, make certain disclosures to the state. Uh, there's a whole body of state law about fundraising that they need to follow. And my second report on We Build the Wall said that they weren't following that, that they had filed false statements with the state, that they had uh, done an illegal uh, raffle, which is basically like a gambling misdemeanor, um, and a few other uh, problems, but, but most of them in the corporate governance of how they went about creating this $20 million political action committee, um, or action fund, as they call it. It's a social welfare organization. Uh, are you, you're familiar with 501c3, right, the yes. charitable designation? Well, well, they were a C4, uh, which is social welfare, which means the money they take in isn't taxed, but the donor is not getting a tax deduction for making the donation. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Why don't we back up a little yeah. bit and explain to us sure. who is Brian Colfage and what was the Bill the Wall Fund about? Uh, well, there's a lot of irony there. You see, the, the Build the Wall Fund came about because of Donald Trump's government shutdown at the end of 2018, which was spurred by Fox News saying that he was being weak by not getting money for his border wall. So he decided to be strong. And, I mean, there's an open debate uh, if he was just doing it because, tactically speaking, uh, it would be better to fight a government shutdown, no matter how losing or horrible it was to the American people, uh, than him fighting impeachment on day one of Congress. You know, like a tactical maneuver to just ruin the calendar for con the new Congress when they were coming in. But either way, uh, you know, Trump unexpectedly shut down the government at the end 
of that Congress and made it into a pressing and terrible problem for the next month or so. And while that was happening, Brian Colfage had an idea, and we'll get to who he is in a bit, but mm. this guy Colfage had an idea. He said, why don't I put and make a GoFundMe fundraiser to raise private money to build Trump's law? If Congress won't fund it, let's just get people to fund it directly. Okay? Now, it worked. They raised $20 million on GoFundMe in just a couple of weeks. But there were some problems. And the bigger problem was that you can't do that. Congress still has to appropriate money. If I donate $10 million to the government, the government can't spend my $10 million the way I say. They have to spend it the way Congress says, regardless of me being the donor. So anyhow, this fellow Cole Fage has a very interesting uh, track record. He's an Air Force veteran. He is a triple amputee. And after becoming a triple amputee and recovering from that, which is very rare, it's not a lot of living triple amputee war veterans. A lot of them uh, expire on the battlefield and are living now at Arlington National Cemetery. Um, but Mr. Colfage survived. And he was actually uh, President Obama's guest at a State of the Union address, I believe in 2012, like as an example of heroism and battle. Um, I have heard from sources that uh, the result of his injuries was a little bit less heroism and more hot-dogging, but I haven't heard anything confirmed about that. And I haven't really reported extensively on who Brian Colfage is in my You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Reporting just doesn't matter uh, if somebody is, you know, a wounded Air Force veteran or has never served or uh, if they're American or not. Uh, if they're involved in a scam, I'm, I'm going to write about it. Uh, but Mr. Colfage was the guy with the idea, and it blew up, but they couldn't do it. And so they were about to give the money back until Steve Bannon, the disgraced former White House senior advisor, former Trump uh, campaign chairman, saw what was going on and decided that it would be the perfect vehicle for him to advance his America First agenda after having spent the year 2018 traveling the globe to over a dozen countries organizing fascist and far-right parties uh, around uh, being a global fascist right-wing alliance. How ironic for somebody that calls everybody globalists as a big insult or slur. Um, and when Bannon met this fellow Colfage, that's really the genesis of the trouble that they're in today. So that's fascinating. So they never knew each other before, and Bannon didn't get involved until there was already $25 million in the bank. That's correct. And, of course, that's a great time to get involved, right? <laughs> for, for, for Bannon, but what, how does that benefit Colfage? Well, Colfage was going to have to give all the money back. Gotcha. Right? And he had raised the money by saying in, in the GoFundMe that all proceeds would go 
to the wall. And so when they made the arrangements to create this 501c4 social welfare organization called We Build the Wall, uh, which they incorporated in Florida as a Florida nonprofit, hence the Florida authority's jurisdiction over it. Uh, when they created it, they, they didn't have any way of, you know, like accepting the money other way. I mean, this is probably Bannon's idea from the beginning. Bannon was an investment banker at Goldman Sachs. Uh, you know, say anything you want about his politics, his policy, his actions, but he's certainly very educated and worldly. Um, however, uh, you know, that was one of the issues that I caught them uh, making massive <clears throat> massive technical errors in their corporate formalities. Uh, what, what do you know about corporations? Do you ever have a corporation or have to navigate that? Oh, yeah. How corporations work? No, my, my whole life, yeah, since 19 well, years old. Well, then you know, and probably a lot of your listeners know. Corporations are created by those corporate formalities. If you don't follow those corporate formalities, then the corporation may not be functioning right, and that could create legal liabilities. And that's what happened there. Uh, they founded the We Built the Wall Corporation with only a single director, hmm. Brian Colfage. Okay? Now, what I wrote in the raw story in, in uh, June of 2019 is that, number one, Florida law requires no less than three directors for a nonprofit. It's just not ambiguous. Okay? Like, <laughs> like the law says, there shall never be fewer than three directors, something like that. And what that means is, is that without the three directors, you can't transact lawful business. You can't make the decisions that you need uh, as a board to do things, right? Uh, but there's a bigger issue that We Build the Wall had, which is that they organized themselves with only one director, and their articles of incorporation say that the only way to add more directors is as provided in the bylaws. So, there were no bylaws. <laughs> imagine. Right. Because you didn't have the three directors. Right. You couldn't, you couldn't uh, yeah, you couldn't adopt the bylaws. And if you can't adopt the bylaws, you don't have any bylaws. So it created a catch-22. Um, I spoke to, to a Florida lawyer about this. I spoke to three lawyers of sources for my stories, but one lawyer told me, look, you know, Grant, if this happened to me in my situation, I would just like dissolve that company and right. make a new one. Yeah, like making a new one would make a lot of sense, right? Because then you fix that little catch twenty two. Otherwise, uh, everybody agreed that one path would be uh, going to court. You know, filing a declaration uh, action for declaratory relief, and you know, asking a judge to declare that there's an amendment to the articles. You know, and that amendment to the article says that, you know, the president or the founding president can add two more board members. And that would have been it. But they didn't believe me. <laughs> Funny story. Uh, my reporting even said that having one director is a very big check on corruption because it keeps one person from having control over the bank account. Exactly. Yeah. And lo and behold, a million dollars was diverted right off the top while they were telling everybody that every dollar was going to their wall project. A million dollars. That's what Donald Trump pardoned uh, this week. Stealing a million dollars. Tax-free. 
Let, let me let me ask a question, Grant. Uh, you know, I know there's these fundraising companies out there, and they fundraise for charities, and they even fundraise for political candidates. Um, and they're allowed to sure. keep ninety percent and and just turn over, you know, ten percent to, to whatever activity they're, they're fundraising for. Why couldn't they just set it up that way and keep all the money? Oh, they from <laughs> from the sources I have, they had some of those people involved as well. Wow! Right, um, but. They didn't have a lot of those. They had some of those high-rate fundraisers. Uh, they did a lot of direct fundraising, and Bannon was very involved in the direct fundraising for it. You know, very, very involved. I mean, they did, uh, you know, all these broadcasts. And, uh, I mean, they really worked hard. Uh, I'll give them credit for that. They they managed to get $14 million of opt-in out of the $20 million in original donations which is not an easy feat. They had to contact all those folks and get them to opt in. Hmm. And then they raised another $11 million over the course of the next 14, 15 months. So, so we're talking I mean, about like a total of $35 million? A total of $25 million raised. $25 million. gotcha. And let me just tell you, uh, the way that the 501c4 social welfare work works, up to 50% of its activities can be electioneering. In other words, it's kind of a hybrid between a nonprofit and a PAC. It just can't be purely a political PAC. So Steve Bannon could have taken a $25 million dark money donation and not told anybody who it was until next fall and used that money to promote what he was doing to try and get, help get uh, Donald Trump elected. Now, I want you to think what Steve Bannon did less than a month or maybe you know, less than two months, six weeks, after he was arrested and, and indicted on these federal fraud, money laundering, conspiracy charges, he was one of the sources of so-called Hunter Biden's laptop, which, I mean, let's be clear here, Hunter Biden probably didn't fly, fly from Los Angeles to Delaware during a pandemic to drop his laptop off with a blind computer repair salesperson. I highly doubt that happened. But that's the lie that Steve Bannon was pitching during the election. Imagine if he had 20 or $25 million to spread that. You know, it, it's funny you bring that up. Because <laughs> I've been talking about that quite a bit lately, the whole Hunter Biden laptop story. Uh, are you familiar with the whole a chain of events with Hunter Biden going to live with Dr. Keith Abloh? No, I can't say that I am. Uh, it's a great story, man. Uh, I don't want to take up your time, though, but it's a great story. Basically, Hunter Biden went to live with Keith Ablo. Keith Ablo got a hold of Hunter Biden's laptop. He contacted Bo Deedle and uh, uh, Bradley Birkenfeld, that guy with the Swiss bank account guy, the whistleblower. And uh, Hunter, uh, Keith Ablo wanted $2 million. But I got this from Birkenfeld's mouth on tape, you know, on, on my show live. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, Ablo wanted okay. $2 million for Biden's laptop, right? They wouldn't. The negotiations fell apart. The next day, DEA raids Ablo's place and takes the laptop. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right, man. What's his name? Uh, uh, Bannon was up to his neck and all that. So was John Kirikawa. Uh, so was Giuliani. So was Carrick. It's all out there. Um, and, and Bannon, oh, you're, you're, you're telling me that Bannon was out on bail on these other charges while all that was going on. That is correct. He was Amazing. on bail. Isn't it? I mean, <laughs> I, think, I think it's a big reason why 
that whole fraud scheme didn't work. I mean, you know, members of the mainstream media were like, hey, the SDNY, the number one federal prosecutory office in America, uh, as far as, you know, highest profile cases, went ahead and filed this against the guy. I mean, there must be uh, something there. Federal prosecutors have only about a 98% conviction rate. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it's not like uh, a municipal prosecutor uh, saying that he stood on the sidewalk here. This is really serious stuff. Um, and I'll tell you this. Uh, this is kind of one of the funny things about the whole case. And this is kind of like a, let's say, you know, I've been thinking about it a lot more lately uh, since reporting uh, at the Byline Times that Bannon is under state investigation, which is something that I've been working on actually for the five months uh, between him getting arrested and him getting pardoned. Um, you know, getting the public records, getting the proof in writing that he is under, you know, he is involved in that criminal investigation. And, uh, you know, they could they could still file charges here in Florida. I would think that the New York state uh, prosecutors, which would be the Manhattan DA, may consider filing charges as well. Who knows? Um, you know, a lot of people said that it's a very short walk from SDNY to the Manhattan DA's office. can only imagine. But, well, well, uh, Grant, let me ask you this. Uh, now, now uh, Trump bails out Bannon, right? And he gives him a pardon. Mm -hmm. What yeah. about Colfage and the other co-conspirators? Are, are they walking free now, too? You know, that's a great question. I'm actually uh, still reporting on this story and getting ready to publish uh, another follow-up uh, in the Byline Times sometime in the next few days. And I spoke with a former STNY prosecutor, very well-known former STNY prosecutor, hmm. and they said that there's some trial practice that could be involved. Uh, you know, there's some things that they'll try to do at the trial uh, related to Bannon's pardon, like his co-defendants. But overall, it doesn't affect them at all. They're still going to go to trial for all the same charges as Bannon. Uh, Bannon could still uh, invoke his Fifth Amendment right to try and shield himself from self-incriminating testimony, uh, you know, in, uh, in, for something that could give him a state problem. Hmm. Um, and, and I haven't even gotten to the point. I'm still talking with these lawyers, like literally, this is like, you know, right before we spoke. Um, but I'm speaking with these folks to ask them, does the pardon effectively make him a uh, criminal? to the point where it may be easier to prosecute him on the state charges because the par accepting the pardon it, it forms an admission of guilt on the original charges. I haven't even gotten to ask the lawyers that yet, and that's a big open question. Um, but but in, uh, to answer your question succinctly, his co-conspirators are screwed. <laughs> they are really screwed. <laughs> that's the legal term you're going to use? Yeah. Okay. All right. Grant, did any wall get built by these guys? So they actually did build a wall facility in Sunland Park, New Mexico. Uh, they did it illegally and then apparently got some permits after the fact. <laughs> Too funny. Um, yeah, uh, there were death threats against the town of Sunland Park, which, by the way, it's just it's like a suburb of El Paso, Texas. Um, it's it's very you know it's next door to El Paso, and. They built that. They put a little bit of money towards the second wall, which was built in the National Butterfly Refuge. 
I don't know if you heard about the war between We Build the Wall and Brian Colfage and the National Butterfly Refuge. I do. I remember but, hearing that, yeah. Mm-hmm. But that was a thing, and I don't know what's going on with either of those projects at this point. I would imagine the Sunland Park one is, is in an okay shape, but the other one was right next to the Rio Grande, so it could probably still be a pretty problematic structure to maintain over the years and that was built by fisher industries the north dakota based contractor that got a multi-billion dollar contract for building trump's wall oh really that's fascinating too now grant let me ask you a question yes. if, if they got 25 million bucks come in they can't hire a couple of decent law firms to kind of like <laughs> you know what i mean like to do, do things legit get the building permits you know you know, they could have, but they just didn't want anybody to know. They wanted to uh, do it all in the dark of the night, make sure nobody could step in and use facts and law to stop them. <laughs> and that was that was their aim, and they, they hit them the mark there, you know. And they pushed the thing through. They built something. Uh, but, of course, it's, you know, it's just a vanity project and a huge border, <laughs> you know. But like, no, I... The Bush administration tried it. They tried it after 9-11, and they just found that private people own some of the land. Uh, there's nature preserves. There's the Rio Grande moves. I mean, it's just not like this, you know, dashed line on a map. It's, it's a place. Yeah. And a lot of that land is privately owned. It's, you know, the preserves. You know, it's just not that simple. Oh, yeah. Um, now, oh, yeah. with the funds, I know part of your story you're reporting there was you uncovered that uh, – some of his funds was spent on a $1 million yacht. $670,000 yacht, to be precise, we found out. Okay. <laughs> Still, that's a lot nicer than anything I'm driving. I mean, yeah. It's funny because they're like, it's not a yacht. I mean, look, can you take a, a fishing boat, uh, just a regular fishing boat, out for a 50-hour expedition in the Gulf of Mexico? I guess what not. What is it? <laughs> Yeah, I'm from I the mean, desert. I'm from the desert, know, man. <laughs> I can't tell you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So anyway, I mean, they they bought their six hundred and seventy thousand dollar boat. And, and to recap, what I, I wrote in the story is that this guy went to another uh, conservative um, and said, "Hey, I'm broke. I just got deplatformed by Facebook because they they kicked my right wing news website. It was called Right Wing News." Uh, Facebook page off of Facebook. And miraculously, they didn't kick his personal page off. And and I'm running out of cash. So can you help out? This is terrible. And of course, that person later, they they turned in Colfage and they said, look, Colfage came to me and said he was broke in October. And now here we are in May. And this guy's riding around in this million dollar yacht or close to it. And he's living in what looks like a million dollar home. The guy said, look, I, I know what it costs to have a, a nice place and a nice car like they have. And and you're just not making that kind of money on coffee. <laughs> you know, like like he had a coffee company. He said that was his means of uh, support, uh, Colfage did. And the reality is, is that money got redirected towards the fancy house, the fancy boat, the lovely Range Rover, Land Rover, whatever the wife was driving. And and lots of other middlemen and kickbacks and, uh, you know, I mean, if you read my story, I have a source 
that told me that We Build the Wall spent more on legal fees than any other thing besides uh, building that wall and uh, uh, the one in Sunland Park. And the legal fees almost all went to Chris Kobach, the former Secretary of State of Kansas. And that's the one that Trump had appointed to dig up election fraud. Yes, that's right. He was the head of the election fraud task force that found no election fraud. Yep. Now, when, when uh, this money was diverted to a yacht and fancy cars and this uh, luxurious home, was it kept in the corporation, the We Build the Wall Corporation, or was it actually transferred over and converted into personal use uh, by Mr. Colfage? Well, they, they converted it, and, and Steve Bannon used uh, another nonprofit called Citizens of the American Republic, or CORE, uh, to launder the money. So, uh, you know, We Build the Wall gives money to CORE, and then CORE pays oh, gotcha. know, people involved. And, and this is pretty shady stuff. I mean, we're not just talking about, like, uh, one check. I mean, I'm just telling you what's in the indictment, that they kind of, like, divvied up the cash, and they you know, pay somebody and then, you know, that person would give half the money to somebody else. And, you know, they were paying vendors and doing kickbacks and all sorts of, you know, very, very thinly contextualized financial activity uh, to launder the, the money out of We Build the Wall and into these other hands uh, without reporting it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to cite something <clears throat> like on the very deepest background, which is that, uh, you know, so far I haven't seen a tax return filed. But people familiar with the case all wondered one thing. Why charge money laundering mm -hmm. if they haven't filed the tax return yet? And, and for your listeners who may not realize this, money laundering is an, uh, it requires an underlying crime. Like you're hiding the proceeds of money from some other crime. So why charge money laundering without tax fraud? Because normally tax fraud is the underlying crime. And my theory is, is that maybe they were trying to get, you know, somebody to be on the hook, like somebody else. Like they're trying to, you know, like they had done all the things they had done. And then it looks like maybe they were trying to file a tax return that was going to cover it up. And they got caught in the attempt of filing a tax return that would have covered up their, their ill-gotten gains that's been stolen a million bucks. And maybe that's why they got charged with conspiracy to launder money, because the feds were obviously reading all of their texts and messages and all that. So, I mean, that's just my theory of the case. Um, the wire fraud charges are very straightforward. They said that they were going to take no money from it. They did. They knew that it was a material fact. It was. And they took the money, and they lied. That's fraud to solicit charitable donations, and they got a massive amount of them pretty simple. Let me ask you this, because there was a whole slew of uh, sure. pardons this, this weekend, and uh, when I was looking through some of them, I was trying to Google each one to see what they were up to. Many of them were also shady financial crimes like this one. So a lot of them were meth dealers, too, you know, meth distribution, manufacture, a lot of them. Uh, but uh, I would notice occasionally the White House would issue an associated statement with an excuse and a reason. And, and did they issue one of those for this Bannon uh, pardon? Uh, it was pretty short. I mean, they just said that Steve was loyal to Trump, and so they're pardoning him, which we all know to be true, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, what kind of statement were they going to issue? 
Yeah. Uh, Trump is leaning on this guy for his political future because he doesn't seem to have one. So why not pardon him at this point? Like that's that's essentially what the the whole decision boils down to. The New York Times reported that Trump's lawyers advised him against pardoning Bannon, and said that it could implicate him in, in uh, other actions, and it could. That really is a shame. problem for Donald Trump. Because it's not like uh, Bannon's repentant, you know, or, uh, you know, rehabilitated or, you know, or anything, you know, not not even a bit, you know. Uh, I don't even understand why a person who would publicly call for the murder of high-ranking public officials covered under statutes that, you know, make that a crime uh, and do so in a public forum. I don't understand why such a person wouldn't uh, would be granted bail, even let alone delivered a pardon. Uh, That's, he was. Know, he wanted to cut somebody's head off. Who, to be there who, to correct injustice. Right. He wanted to cut somebody's head off. Not who was it? Fauci. It was. Who, who do you want to cut the head off of? Yeah, he, he threatened Fauci and and uh, the FBI director. Amazing, uh, Christopher Ray. Yeah, I honestly don't understand why he was allowed to be out after saying that. I mean. You know, we have a First Amendment right, but once you're a part of a court proceeding, you know, there's uh, a little more oversight of, of the things that you do and say. I yeah, I, even having here. yeah. I, I had a, a guest on this show. Became friends with him for years. A uh, Reverend Ed Pinkney, uh, who was uh, had his bail revoked for quoting the Bible, uh, okay, and as it applied to his judge, uh, so, and he was a, a reverend. Now. Let me ask you a question here, though. Um, what do you think motivated the whistleblower to come to you and rat out uh, Colfage? Well, you know, I, I think the the whistleblower, and this is what he the, the, the day uh, told me, uh, the whistleblower said, "Look, you know, I don't want to see Trump supporters scammed hmm. because I think that if." Trump supporters are being taken advantage of, then it may lead to the wall not being built. They literally said, like, look, you know, I know right from wrong. You and I may disagree about the ends, but the means we can agree on, it should be done the right way. And he was just, you know, I mean, they, uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, look, I, I've spoken with a lot of people in this story. It's been going on now for two years, um, but they basically, they were very disgusted because they had had this, you know, they had had this experience with this person, this personal experience. And if they hadn't had that personal experience, I couldn't have reported that story. Hmm. You know, like they had a very specific predicate that they had met the person, that, you know, Cole Page, they had met them. They had heard from Colfage himself that, you know, this was definitely a, you know, a situation where losing his uh, platform, Colfage's platform, just crippled him financially. And all of a sudden he's cruising around. I mean, this is, it's just a classic case of being caught by social media. You know, uh, it, Brian Colfage was caught by social media just as much as the capital insurrectionists. It's just a sad day in America when stealing a million dollars and, you know, not being repentant about it at all can be a pardonable offense, uh, a crime that's pardoned. That's the truth. 
Let me ask you this, Grant, because uh, you set off the air that you had a hard break at 6 o'clock. It's, it's almost 6 o'clock right now. Uh, yeah, I'm waiting for them to call. Oh, good. You can give me like another four minutes of it. All right, then let me ask you this real quick while we're waiting for them to call. Um, sure. The other pardons. Have you had a chance to look through the other pardons? Yes, I have had a chance to look through the other pardons, and they're egregious. They're really, really bad. Yeah. I mean, at least with C. Bannon, it's an ongoing matter, and we know that the state authorities in at least two states, at least two states, uh, New York and Florida, are able to, to seek justice uh, for the American people and and stop these scams and, and punish the people that perpetrated them. But uh, former Congressman Renzi, uh, Duke Cunningham, uh, you know, we're talking about, uh, and, and let's just talk about some of the pardons that were earlier, uh, Duncan Hunter, uh, former Representative Chris Collins. I mean, those guys got pardoned for respectively, uh, let's see, Insider trading on the White House lawn. That was Collins. He was the first Republican in Congress to support Trump. And the second pardon, uh, Duncan Hunter, he diverted uh, at least a quarter million dollars worth of campaign funds to have four or five different affairs while he was traveling across the country. I mean, these are horrible pardons. These are like just, it's just like a free pass. It's a free pass for public corruption. Any corrupt public official in America that isn't a Republican already is probably thinking about joining the Republican Party after this. It seemed to me that a lot of them were very wealthy people, and perhaps they were. <laughs> so you think perhaps oh, Bob Zangrillo? Bob Zangrillo got pardoned. He's a real estate developer and actually quite active here in Miami. And Zangrillo uh, paid a ton of money in the Varsity Blues scandal. Aunt wow. Becky didn't get a pardon, but this guy Zangrillo must be more connected than Aunt Becky. Uh, another pardon that really disturbed me was Paul Erickson. He was the Russian spy's boyfriend. Right. Uh, the Russian spy who infiltrated the National Rifle Association, which, by the right. way, filed bankruptcy recently. Uh, yeah, so Paul Erickson won a full and complete pardon for his uh, vast, multi-decade uh, financial crime spree. Um, he was scamming people for years, friends, associates, and Kellyanne Conway sponsored his pardon. This is a man who left a note to himself debating if he should take a job from Russia's Federal Service Bureau, i.e. the intelligence agency. Well, there was another one, too, that was... Uh, uh Working with Iran, they were. He was uh, working around the, the Iran embargo uh, laws. Did you see that one? Oh, there was. I, I missed that <laughs> one. Because <laughs> yeah, they're also egregious. Now, what do you make of all these meth manufacturing ones, though? What do you make of that? Uh, I don't know. Maybe Trump is in that business. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but a lot of those meth guys are like neo-Nazi types, you know, and right-wing uh, uh, gangs, you know? Maybe. It could be. Yeah. I mean, who knows, really? Who knows? I know. You we, know? We... Like, it, it, there's just, there's no depth, uh, there's no bottom to the depravity, so yeah. we really can't say. Uh, we, we can't say, well, geez, you know, we know Trump uh, would never be in the mess business. <laughs> well, but, no, I we mean, can't. 
we could say this. The, the list included a lot of powerful, wealthy individuals. El- Elliot Brady. Right. So here's a convicted briber who gets convicted of uh, soliciting a bribe to get somebody else a pardon. And he gets a pardon. And this guy was just conducting all sorts of foreign uh, lobbying activities without registering. And, I mean... Gosh, it's just overwhelming how many criminals these folks brought into Washington, D.C. And Donald Trump's last act, uh, last official act, besides pardoning, I mean, oh, he, he also gave a, a Judge Jeanine uh, Pirro's uh, husband a full pardon. That was right. one of his last, last official acts. But Trump did only one thing in five years, well, four years in office. One thing in four years in office that could be construed as... Uh, public ethics matter, which is that he issued an executive order forbidding everybody in the Trump administration from lobbying an agency that they had worked for for five years and forbidding them from becoming foreign lobbyists, registered foreign agents. He rescinded that on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. Yeah, you had to fill the swamp on the way out. Uh, Grant, we only got about yeah. two minutes left. I, I, I got another big question for you, though. What do you make of all the number of pardons that were associated with requests from Alan Dershowitz? Anything? Well, you know, Trump, I guess, really appreciated the fact that uh, Dershowitz got up there and said that up was down and left was right for him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if- Dershowitz was an advisor uh, throughout the presidency. He didn't try to hide it. Uh, he did explain that he wasn't Trump's lawyer. He's not <laughs> He's not giving legal advice to Trump at the time, but he took the job uh, during impeachment the last time around. And I don't know if you've read the reports, but I read on CNN that Trump is having fu- trouble finding uh, legal counsel right now. Yeah. Which I find surprising because Dershowitz said publicly that he would like to represent Trump in the Senate trial. Well, let's see what happens. we got about one minute left. How can people find Grant Stern and follow your excellent reporting? Well, I would love it if you guys run on down to Twitter and follow me at Grant Stern. And uh, at Grant Stern is the best way to, to find me. Or you can go to GrantStern.com. That's where you'll find my books on uh, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and four other wonderful Democrats who ran for uh, president. And uh, I mean, really, the best place to go is Twitter, at Grant Stern. That's where I post everything as it comes out. Yeah, and the little bio is up there. He has tags and links to all the other Twitter channels he uses and uh, to his uh, website, grantstern.com. Mr. Stern, thank you once again. Thanks for having me. It's always been my pleasure. Great. Well. Good night. Thank you.